Last week we read as Paul took 12 disciples that he met in Ephesus. He finished uh, the story, went to Antioch, then he went back up and he went back through Galatia and Pergia and then came into Ephesus. And as he comes into Ephesus, he meets 12 disciples that were aware of John's baptism, not aware of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul filled them in. And uh, after attending synagogue uh, for a, a few months, they um, had some trouble there. And the Jews in the synagogue didn't want to hear it. They, they didn't want to believe they uh, were against. And, and this is an ongoing thing. But Paul always felt led to go to the synagogues for us. Give the Jews their, their opportunity to receive the message, to hear from the Holy Spirit, and to be... They need to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And who else do you think would recognize him as the Messiah except for the ones that were waiting for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. And then here, Paul brings them the message, the good news. He's here. He's been here. Oh, by the way, you crucified him. Okay, that wasn't the good news, but they needed to hear that because it would stir something up inside of them. Uh, they didn't like it, so they left the synagogue and he took the 12 disciples and he went to the school of Tyrannus. And it's, it was a school that met in the morning and the evenings, but during the day, everything shut down during the day. And so he was meeting there with these 12 and whoever else came um, to hear the good word. We're told that a lot of people came, as a matter of fact. It says that um, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. It didn't say they believed in the word of the Lord. They heard it. You see, and hearing is important. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so they heard it. And so some of them may be inspired later on to be followers. Some of them may not. But they heard it. And it was all Asia who heard the word. And so this little school that started with Paul and 12 disciples, we don't know how many. It doesn't talk about numbers. You know, it, it doesn't post how many people showed up. You don't go to their Facebook page to see how big the church is doing, which which music group they had leading worship that day. You don't hear any of that. You just know that they were there to hear the word and they were meeting for two years and they had a great impact. And this is another one of those things where a lot of people think, well, I, I hear these excuses of, well, I don't go to church. I meet in a home church or I get my church online and stuff like that. And, and there are some uh, Reasons why people may do that because of physical uh, ailments or just the fact that they're out in, in rural areas and stuff like that. But we're, we're called to come together and to meet together on a regular basis, especially as we see the day approaching. And 
people sometimes mistake what that means. What day approaching? Uh, well, the day of the Lord. As we see the day of the Lord approaching. Well, today, the day of the Lord is approaching one day sooner than yesterday. And, and it's approaching much more rapidly. We don't have to look for signs and wonders to tell that we're living in a time where big events are happening and, and where biblical events are happening, where prophetical events are taking place. We don't have to go looking and searching for these things, but we're called to be prepared. We're called to look up because... The day of the Lord can be any time or could be years away. But we should always be prepared because the day of the Lord may be today for any one of us. If we die today, today is the day of the Lord. We're going to meet him. And I know it's not the exact understanding of what the day of the Lord means in here. But it, we make it personal. You know, our relationship is a personal relationship. We don't have a group relationship with the Lord. Oh, yes, we do. We're congregational. So we have this congregational type relationship with the Lord. As a church, we do things. We, you know, reach out into the community and we do things together. Uh, but at the same time, we aren't saved together. We aren't saved because I attend Calvary Chapel we're saved because we invited the Holy Spirit into our lives and we received the gift of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why we're saved. So, the topic is going to now change quickly to the topic of miracles. And that's what our message is titled today, Unusual Miracles. We're going to continue in Acts chapter 19. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Where we read, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Unusual miracles. I have to tell you, if a miracle isn't unusual, then it's not a miracle, right? I mean, oh, it's not the ordinary miracles that we're used to. Uh, miracles are unusual in and of themselves. But these were just a little over the edge. Handkerchiefs, these, these are sweatbands, basically. It's what he would wear on his head when he's working. He was a tent maker. He worked with leather, and he would put these sweatbands on. And so even if someone touched one of them, uh, they would be healed. Uh, but is it just the fact that evil spirits don't like sweat? Or maybe just Paul's sweat? I, I don't know. Because we aren't told. You see, we're not given details as to why people were healed from them. We just know that they were. You know, and we read in other chapters in the book of Acts where people would put their sick out on the street. So just if the shadow of Peter may pass over them, that they would be healed. It didn't say that they were healed. It just said that's what they were doing. They were putting the sick out there 
so that if the shadow of Peter happened to cross over them, they would be healed. The lady that touched the hem of Jesus' robe, she was healed. You know, just from touching the hem of his garment. He didn't say anything. He didn't wave his hand over her. Nothing. You know, and, and there are many different healings that have taken place in the word of God that are unusual, that are different. And, and we don't, like when the centurion went to Jesus in Capernaum and he said, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, all right, I'll come. And, and, I'll, and he said, no, you don't have to come. I know when I'm a person that's in charge of people. And when I tell them and give them an order, they do what I told them to do. And I know that you don't have to come because all you have to do is give the order. And Jesus said, such faith I haven't seen in, even in Israel. Even the Jews didn't have faith. This wasn't a Jew. This was a Gentile. And he said, I haven't even seen this kind of faith in my own people. And so unusual things have taken place throughout the whole book of Acts. We've seen these unusual miracles taking place. But this was a little bizarre. There are other people today in modern times. I don't know about today, but uh, um, I know in the 80s that there were these faith healers that were sending napkins and, and uh, stuff, handkerchiefs, through the mail. If you send a certain amount of money, you will receive my latest book and a handkerchief that has been prayed over, you know, for healing. And, and then if the person isn't healed, you know what the reasoning is. You didn't have the faith. If you would have had the faith to be healed, you would have been healed. You know, and that's kind of ridiculous. Because we understand through the scripture that not every single person, now many times, everyone who came into a healing situation with Jesus, they were healed. All who came were healed. But there were other times where people weren't, like Paul. Paul, who you would expect, hold on, this is the guy that wrote so much of the New Testament, and he wasn't healed when he asked to be healed. He asked three times. Jesus didn't say, ask one more time. Jesus didn't say, your faith isn't strong enough. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And how many of us experience things in our lives and we think I'm out of touch with God because I'm not experiencing or I'm not receiving what I'm praying for. What I'm praying for isn't happening. And I'm praying, I have other people that are praying fervently and it's not happening. And, and so I'm, you know, I must be out of, maybe not. Maybe we're intellectualizing what the issue really is. Maybe it's the fact that God put that in our lives or allows it in our lives for a reason. So we can experience a closer bond to him. I know when I have struggles in my life, those struggles drive me to my knees. They drive me to the only place I can get answers, to the Lord. 
And so when you experience struggles in your life, don't let it separate, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough for him. I can't read my Bible because I just don't feel close to him. That's when we need to be in more prayer, in deeper prayer. We need to be reading more often. We need to really hear from the Lord. And that's how we're going to hear from him. And miracles are something that we can still experience today. We don't experience them like this. You know, I, I, unless maybe you do. But personally, I haven't received a sweatband and was healed of anything. But I do know that God is doing miracles in my life. The greatest miracle that he does in my life is he makes me compassionate for the people he loves. People I don't love. People I think are out of their mind. He gives me compassion for them. He gives me love for them. And uh, that isn't something natural. That's a miracle. Because, you know, my first instinct is, oh yeah, well, you're going to hell, pal. You know, just you keep acting that way. You're going to hell. Have you ever thought that before? I know you have. Okay. I know you have because everyone kind of, you know, you're a jerk. You deserve where you're going, you know. But the fact is, is that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Hell wasn't created for bad people because we'd all be there. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, his demons. That's who's going to be there. And we should recognize that miracles are just a sign of what God is doing in the world. And sometimes the miracles are obvious and sometimes they aren't. We're giving numerous examples, as I was saying. In Acts 5.16, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They brought them there. It was their point of faith. They knew that coming to Jerusalem, where the apostles and Jesus were, they were going to be healed. And that was their point of faith. Just like the lady that touched Jesus' robe. That was her point of faith. If I could just touch his robe, I would be healed. And she did. We all have a point of faith. All of us have a place where we get to. And we, If this happens, I know that this is where the Lord is. This is, the Lord is in it. The Lord is going to get me through this. And we, we just, don't go looking for a point of faith. Look for Jesus. Keep focused on him. And he'll bring you to that point of faith, wherever it is. He'll bring you uh, to that point. So, Paul himself asked for a miracle. And his miracle was, you're going to live with 
whatever the trial was that he was going through. That's his miracle. You're, you're not going to like it, but you're going to live with it. And whatever it was kept Paul humble. It kept Paul reliant on God. And I, I think that's a miracle that even through struggles and trials that we go through, we stick with Jesus. We don't say, I, I'm, I'm expecting miracles. I'm expecting, uh, you know, a full bank account. Uh, you know, I'm expecting obedient children. You know, and, and why? No one has that. You, you know, if you have obedient children, that is a miracle. Uh, because kids aren't always obedient. You know, they, they have a mind of their own. I was, you know, I, I think I was obedient once and it was because I was going to get something for it, you know. And so the usual, the unusual miracles were a confirmation uh, from God that the disciples were preaching something that was true. That's what it was. It was a confirmation. When we see God do something. When we're, have you ever prayed for someone that was sick or something like that and you laid hands on them, you prayed for them or maybe you didn't even lay hands on them, you just prayed for them. Oh, you know, Lord, do this. And, and then they get better and then you say, man, that, that was a good doctor. You went to the Mayo Clinic. They have really good doctors there and, you know, and, and then people give credit to the Doctors, the instrument that God used instead of giving credit to God who did the work. And we do that in many different facets of our lives and in many ways. Oh, God, I'm looking for a job, you know, and, you know, you get a job and you don't like it. The manager is bad and, and everything. And, well, you prayed for a job. You didn't pray for a good job, you know. Be more specific in your prayers. And God is faithful to give you what you need. Maybe not always what we want, but what we need. And we should be specific. He's going to do that. But even though the miracles were the evidence of God, the enemy tries to corrupt that work that God is doing. In verse 13 we read, then some of the itinerant Jew, Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So here were these Jews, itinerant Jews were nomadic Jews. They would travel around and, and they would do um, different events and stuff like that, gathering people together. And, and so they saw Paul's ministry. He was very successful in his ministry. And they said, oh, we can do that. You know, and they started preaching in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. They don't, they didn't know Jesus. But they recognized the fact that there's power in the name of Jesus. And so quite often uh, we look at scripture and we'll quote scripture to someone. But we're quoting something as if we were the authority 
because we recognize the scripture and we recognize uh, this scripture is perfect for that person. They need to hear this. It's going to speak to them. And, but if we're quoting it as if we were the authority, we're in trouble. Because the authority for the scripture is the Holy Spirit. It's who is actually doing the work in the life of the unbeliever or the believer. Don't quote from an authoritative position. Quote from the fact that I know the scripture is the power of God. The word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He has a name, Jesus. And now we have that relationship with him. So we can speak the name of Jesus and have power. The Jews, even these Jewish itinerant exorcists, recognized it. And they were going around using the name of Jesus. It doesn't say that they were casting out demons. It just says they were using his name. So we don't know how effective they were. It wasn't saying that. the, But we do know the name of Jesus is very powerful. And if an unbeliever uses the name of Jesus, a person receiving that name could receive healing, could receive an exorcism and be released from a demon because that's how much power is in the name of Jesus. You know, and it's their point of faith. They have faith in Jesus. If they have faith in the Jew that is speaking that, the, the Jewish exorcist, they may not have been healed. They may not have had uh, the demon cast out of them. But there were some other exorcists that were also uh, doing the same thing. In verse 14, we read, Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. Who did what? They were using the name of Paul to cast out demons. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? You know, I'm sure the seven sons were speaking to one, one man that was possessed by an evil spirit. And I'm sure they weren't really afraid. One guy, there's seven of us. You know, and they were trying to show the power. Now, when we try to um, sell God, when we try to promote God for our own glory, for our own purposes, uh, then we can find ourselves in deep water. We can find ourselves in a place where God will stop using us because we're doing it for ourselves. And I believe that that's what was going on with these exorcists. They were using the name for themselves. They were promoting themselves. They wanted to expand their, they were probably charging for, you know, getting rid of the demon. And so they were 
doing something that wasn't going to give God the glory. And God isn't going to share his glory, especially with, you know, these guys that are supposedly knowledgeable in the things of the Lord. They were sons of a chief priest. And you would think they would know, but uh, they didn't recognize these things. They were invoking the name of Jesus, but they didn't have a relationship with him. There's no power without the relationship. There's no Holy Spirit without a relationship. And so, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is where the power resides. Yes, he's inside of us. And, you know, you can't see, if, if you see me walking through Safeway, you're not going to say, oh, he has a lot of Holy Spirit. Man, he, he's, look at that. Because if you did, it's not like Moses when he went up on the mountain and he came back down and he had to wear the veil over his face because everybody was checking Moses out. Look at Moses. He's glowing. You know, and he had to wear the veil. It wasn't just for the fact that people were looking at him when he was glowing, but the fact that eventually the glow would fade. And now... They aren't looking at him anymore. They're not listening to him anymore. They're not being obedient to him anymore because now he's not glowing. You know, go get your glow on and then come back and talk to us and, and we'll listen. You know, and that's how come. Now, there are people that you see the Holy Spirit in just by the way they present themselves, just by the way they live, the way they act. You can see it. Sometimes it's nauseating because they are just so full of the spirit. And it's like, wow, man, cool your jets, you know, and, and people don't like that. You know why we don't like that? Because we got too much of us and not enough of him, you know, and, and, and it's almost like, man, I wish I was like that, but I'd rather them come down to my level than me go up to their level. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I really don't need to have a lot of joy in my life because my wife has enough for both of us. <laughs> and so I just hang out with her and she's just bubbling all over the place, you know, and, and I don't have to do very much. I just have to stand there, you know. <laughs> so. Paul writes about people like this, like these itinerant Jewish exorcists in his second letter to the church at Corinth. In chapter 11, verse 13, he writes, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, he, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. False apostles are everywhere. And they take after their daddy, Satan. They look like they're doing the work. There are... Churches out there 
that appear to be doing godly work, but just like we read there, that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. There are religions that subscribe to the idea that their angel is one of those, the angel of light, and all you have to do is believe, and and he comes to you as an angel of light. And there are many people that follow. They do good works. They're good people as far as the world is concerned. They act like good people. And... You know, people are lured in by the goodness that they have. Sometimes I wish Christians were as good as some of these people. But here's the thing. It's not true. It's false. It leads people away from the truth. And so we really have to know what the truth is. The truth sets us free. Not what someone tells you. Not the actions of some. It's the truth that sets us free. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's what sets us free. So these seven sons, they were rewarded for their phony efforts. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I know you're picturing that. You know, how in the world one evil spirit inside a man took on seven And ripped their clothes off, beat them up, and they fled, wounded, and and their egos were probably a little wounded too. You see, the evil spirit knew Jesus and knew Paul, but didn't know them. So we elevate Paul to the level of Jesus. And say, okay, well, you know, Paul was right up there with Jesus. You know, Jesus, Paul, Billy Graham. Right? And we kind of get this picture of who was in the food chain. You know, but here's the reality. Anyone that has the Holy Spirit living inside of them has the full power of the Holy Spirit accessible to them. And so... An evil spirit recognizes the Holy Spirit and they have to submit. And so some people get carried away with that. You know, they, they you know, want to go out there throwing the Holy Spirit around and, and sometimes you'll see them on TV, on stage, and they'll do this with their hand and people flop over and stuff like that. And... <sighs> That frustrates me because that's not how Jesus would act. And so if Jesus wouldn't act that way, why does any human act that way? Thinking that they're representing Jesus. You know, when when Jesus was upset, he wrapped together some leather straps and walked 
up through the temple mound and let them know, hey, this is sin, what you're doing here. You know, selling these animals to people that can barely afford what they have. And you're trying to sell them something three times the price that they can normally get it. You're ripping them off. You're robbing them. It didn't say that he was whipping people. It just said that he put together some leather straps and it probably got their attention. But it was a righteous anger. And, you know, they all fled. Sometimes we have an unrighteous anger. And we get mad and we say things to people that, um, you know, as if we had the authority to say these. Unless God tells you to say something, don't say it. Now, I'm not exactly perfect in this area. I have had people confront me and say some things. And, and I said some things that I don't regret, but I realized they were stupid. Uh, I say I don't regret them because they actually had some impact. But I, I do regret being outside of the will of God when it comes to speaking to someone. I always want to represent Jesus well. And these guys weren't representing Jesus at all. They were representing themselves. They were selling the business of exorcism. And, you know, that in and of itself was evil. You know, so um, I think we need to have an attitude check sometimes when we are speaking to people that don't agree with us. You know, no matter what the issue is, it doesn't even have to be a biblical issue. It could be a political issue. And we are, disagree with them politically. We don't have to fight with them. We don't have to, we can present what we believe. And if we believe in the word of God and what we're presenting is in line with the word of God, then you know what? We're, we're pretty, standing on pretty solid ground. But if there is no precedent in the word of God for what we believe and what we're saying, then sometimes it's better just to back off. You know, some people, and I know this is going to come as a surprise to you, some people are stupid. And they do stupid things. I was one of them growing up. I was, the teachers always told me how smart I was. And they were right in that I had the ability to be smart, but I did stupid things all the time because I didn't uh, focus on the smart part. I, I was focusing on the stupid. I wanted to impress people and I was doing stupid things instead. Well, when we communicate with people, we have to remember that some people aren't able to receive what we're telling them because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is foolishness to those that perish. The word of God is foolishness to those that perish. Jesus is foolishness to those that perish. So we have to realize that when we're speaking to someone, we need to do it out of love because that's how Jesus would do it. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he didn't start calling her out on all her sin. He made her aware of the fact that he, he knew 
of her sin. But he, he wasn't like, you know, okay, well, you're going to hell for this reason and that reason and this reason and that reason. No. He said, hey, you did good. You told the truth. You know, that the man you're living with isn't your husband and you've been married all these times before. And, and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. So, you know, he wanted her to know that he, he knew her. And when we share with someone, sometimes we know because we've experienced what they're experiencing. We've lived through what they're living through. And do we present to them the same love that Jesus presented to us that drew us into this relationship that we have with him? That's a good question each one of us need to ask. Am I representing Jesus as he did to me when I came into the relationship with him? You know, can people see Jesus in my life and in the way I present him? Or are they just listening to an angry person slapping the Bible and saying, well, this scripture says. It does. You know who the scripture says it to? Me. Not to them. To me. And all we have to do is introduce them to the love of Jesus. And then once they receive Jesus, then the scripture is speaking to them. So, you know, it, it, it's not always that way. But it's a good starting place. So. The evil spirit overpowers these guys. In verse 17, uh, this became known to both, uh, both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord was magnified. Fear fell on them all. Because of what, not because of the fact that they were worried about evil demons chasing them around. That's not the fear. The kind of fear that it's talking about is reverence. The fear of God. The reverence for God. Look how powerful God is. He allowed this to happen, but those charlatans, um, they, they were cast... So, when you see God's judgment on someone, um, you think to yourself, hold on, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be included in that. And, and that's quite often what happens in our own lives to make small corrections. You know, I'm watching these people I'm hanging out with and they're just going in the wrong direction, they're getting in trouble and bad things are happening in their life. I don't want any part of that. And God is showing me, hold on, maybe you should separate yourself from, maybe you should be the example instead of following the example. You know, quite often we want to fit in. I, I have friends that um, are, I have, let me, I'm going to rewind that. I have acquaintances that are fully on board with me uh, politically, morally. They have the same ideas that I have. But 
I don't consider them Christians because they're not. They, they don't claim to be Christians. But they have the same beliefs that I have as far as political and, and, and moral beliefs and stuff. They're, they're good people, you know. But that doesn't mean that they're righteous people. That doesn't mean that they're living righteously. And sometimes I feel like I don't want to be here. You know, I don't want to be in this situation. I want to separate myself from this. Because it's making my spirit, you know, feel the, the, the junk, the garbage from what's going on. And they're just being good people. You know, so there's a lot of people in the world that we can get along with, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are like-minded. But we can get along with them, but they still need to see the love of Jesus. Hopefully they're seeing that in us. <clears throat> so I'm sure it wasn't the intent of the Holy Spirit to spread the fear of God into the people. Um, this, this evil spirit, excuse me, I'm, I'm sure that the evil spirit was looking to make themselves, make himself known as the powerful one. I chased off all these Jewish, you know, uh, pastors that were, you know, there trying to cast me out. And, and so he was, and, and instead it gave glory to God. And people feared because of what took place. They saw that the evil spirit wasn't the one that really won that battle. You know, evil was fighting against evil, really, in, in that uh, fight there. So here's the effect that it had on all the people in Ephesus. We see in verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver is a year's wage for 150 men back in those days. And so they brought together their books. In, in Ephesus, they were very superstitious. They practiced black magic. They practiced witchcraft. And so they brought all of these incantations and spells and all of that. They brought all the books together and they burned them and they confessed their sins. And, and that's important also as believers that we are confessing our sin. Now, when we become believers, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all of our sin is forgiven from the past, the present, and the future. You can tell there's a, a Christian by how they live after knowing that. You can tell that they live in Christ by how they act, how that impacts their life. 
Uh, my sin has been forgiven, so I don't want to live in that anymore. There are many Christians that just continue to live that way, the way they were, saying, well, my sin is forgiven, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to be okay. Well, if we have an attitude like that, we have to really check ourselves and say, what, was I really saved? Did I really invite the Holy Spirit in? If I'm not living for Christ, if there isn't a change in my life, then maybe I'm not really saved. I'm just going through the motion. There are many people that go to church every week, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And these itinerant Jewish exorcists, they didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they weren't able to access the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work of God. And so we as Christians should expect to see the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, in our life. We should expect to see changes in our lives. Because when we believe, when we receive the Holy Spirit, he's going to do the work. And as he does the work, our life changes. I'm much different than I was at 19 years old when I got saved or 20 years old, whatever it was. <clears throat> I'm much different than then. Thank goodness. Because I never expected to make it to 30. You know, living in Queens, there was plenty of ways to die. And I was, you know, living like I was going to. But coming here and hearing about Jesus and, you know, becoming a follower of Jesus is just part of my story. It's what he did in my life over the years and changing me from who I was into who I am today. And, and I'm not perfect yet. You don't have to confirm that for me. Thank you. Uh, but I'm not perfect yet. I know I'm not. But I know that I will be one day in the eyes of God. I'll be complete. He'll finish the work. And it's all going to be good. But I need to focus on what he has told me. The things that he has brought me into. He wants me to complete the work. He wants me to continue walking. That's for each one of us. He has something that each one of you are involved in that he wants you to be involved in. There's some things you're involved in he doesn't want you to be involved in. So that's between you and God. And it's good to figure that one out. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The works of the Holy Spirit through obedient and faithful people revealed the word of God to the world. And that should be our goal today. The world is living in darkness. We are the light, we're told. And so we should shine that light in the darkness so that people can see there's something different. Uh, and people are drawn to light. You go into a dark room that has no light whatsoever. You light a little candle and everybody looks at the candle. They're drawn to the light. And so no matter how dark the world becomes, 
we can shine the light of Jesus in the dark world. And the darker it gets, the lighter we become, the brighter we become. So we close considering the unusual miracles that are being performed. These Jews were attempting to cast out demons without knowing Jesus personally, and they failed miserably. They recognized the power of Jesus, but they couldn't access it. And we have access to the power of Jesus. Sometimes we ignore it. And he doesn't want us to. He gives us all of this power through his Holy Spirit to accomplish his purposes. Not our own, his. He gives us the Holy Spirit so we can do what he wants us to do. And we just have to trust him and follow his direction. We may have the best intentions, but sometimes our intentions are, aren't good enough. And we operate in our own power instead of operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we get frustrated because things aren't going the way we expect them to. Do you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ personally? That's a requirement. It's not something that's an option. There are, there are different option plans. Well, if you're just a good person and you do a lot of good things, if you attend church, if you give money, if you do all of this, you know, then you, you'll be fine. No. It's you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ personally. Period. He died for you. So what would stop you from having that relationship? Only your flesh. It's a personal relationship that saves us. I pray that if you don't have a relationship, that you don't go one more day without having a relationship. One final thought. Just as the Ephesians gave up all of the witchcraft and everything that they were into, they burned it all. They gave it up. What is it that God has told you to give up? What is it that God had spoke to you about? It, it, it's not a blanket thing. Okay, at Calvary Chapel, we are giving up this. No, it's not that. It's personal. Maybe God talked to you about giving something up that the person next to you doesn't have to give up. I don't know what it is, and I don't want you to come tell me. But I unless you want me to pray with you and I'll pray with you about it. But here's the thing, whatever it is that you have that God spoke to you about, then do it. Be obedient because that's where the power is in obedience. It's not in the offerings, it's in the obedience. And so as we are obedient and we're faithful then we can see the work of God in our lives. A gentleman, 95 years old, I went to his memorial on Thursday. 95 years old. I've known him for the last 30 years. And he had a lot of different ideas. Most of them I agreed with. He was very like-minded, but 
he was very arrogant and aggressive in what he believed and how he believed it and what I should believe and what I should do and how I should live. But he didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I went to his memorial on Thursday and expecting to hear the normal platitudes and, you know, oh, he was such a wonderful guy and, and all of that. And the pastor that did the message, that did the ceremony, did an awesome job. He presented the gospel. And he did an awesome job presenting the gospel. But something happened that I wasn't aware of. Two days before he died, the chaplain from the hospital that he was in came into the room and asked him if he wanted to receive Jesus. And he said, yes. 95 years. And two days before he dies, he receives Jesus Christ. His daughter, my sister-in-law, came in to his room the day before he died. And she had invited him to church so many times. Wouldn't go, wouldn't go, wouldn't go. Just two weeks earlier, she invited him to church. He wouldn't go. And he came in, uh, she came in, and he's laying there with tubes in his mouth and everything. And she said, can I read to you some scripture? And a big smile came on his face. And he nodded, yes. And she read him Psalm 23. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit, even at 95 years old. The power of the Holy Spirit still able to break through and reach someone that's going to be going home to see Jesus two days later. And it's just, what a story. So we don't know who we're talking to. We don't know when they're going to receive Jesus. But let's be planting seeds and watering as the Lord calls us. Amen. Amen.